I think the grieving process can be very similar, whether you've lost a job or a spouse or um, a sense of identity, yeah, or divorce. So I think everyone goes through a grieving process, whatever they've lost. Most people, yeah, um, are, are grieving losses of one kind or another. And for most people, I think it's the loss of a, a completely free childhood to be who they want, really could have been or wanted to be. Wow. Mm. Now today's guest on the show is Sasha Bates. She's a grief psychotherapist and her husband Bill died unexpectedly at the age of 56. And if you've ever experienced grief, a loss of a family member or a friend, this will be really relevant to you. Our sponsors are Smartcasts, who are trying to solve the food security problem that exists in this world. We've got soil erosion, we've got climate change, and we have to look at different ways to produce crops so that those crops can feed the ever-growing population. And it's a really important issue. So go check out Smartcast Tech, S-M-A-R-T-K-A-S-T-E-C-H on Instagram. Really mini, 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 like micro farm. Look at their journey. It's more like decoration. Everybody could have that in their own kitchen. Essentially, this is for herbs. Najahi Events have been a sponsor of ours since the very beginning. They bring motivational speakers, inspirational leaders here into the Middle East so that we can learn, develop ourselves and grow. Good examples of that are people like Tony Robbins, Grant Cardone, Gary Vaynerchuk. All of these big names come through Najahi Events. They've supported me and I would like you to support them. Sasha, thank you for coming to join us on the podcast today. Thank you for I'm having me. I'm going to read something to you before we start. Okay. And I, and I've literally, and I swear on, on my life, I've just got this this minute, okay, come through to me before you walked in. And this is a friend of mine. Grief, I've learned, is really just love. It's all the love that you want to give but cannot. It's that unspent love gathers up in the corners of your eyes. It's the lump in your throat, in that hollow part of your chest. Grief is just love with no place to go. Mm. A friend of mine's husband died recently mm -hmm. and unexpectedly. And this was what she posted today. Mm. And I thought that was, why was I reading that five minutes before you came in? Yeah. And I thought I had to share that. It's lovely. No, it's beautiful. And it, I mean, people do say the depth of the love is the depth of the grief. And so you can't have one without the other. And I think that kind of sums it up, really. It's, you have all this love for somebody and it doesn't just disappear when, when they do. Um, and yeah, you have to transform it into something. Now, your, your husband died unexpectedly, mm. and it's always very awkward, isn't it, to talk to somebody and mm. think about how you talk about it. Do they want to talk about it? Do they, do they, would they rather just think about other things, or mm. are they wondering, why aren't you asking about it, you know, what, what the rules are? And I'm sure there aren't rules, you know, everybody's different. But when you went through your experience, did you notice mm. that people were, were not sure how to approach you? Yeah, I think um, part of why I wrote Languages of Loss, well, I'm, I'm saying this retrospectively, I'm not sure, I, I think it was very subconscious at the time, but is because I realised that nobody ever talks about it. Nobody wants to address it, and people are really terrified of it. Um, and in Languages of Loss, I'm partly writing about my experience as a griever, but I'm also partly writing as a psychotherapist, looking at um, the various different ways grief has been approached sort of more academically and, and theoretically. But there's a slightly anomalous bit in the middle where I talk about everybody wants to help and they don't know what to say and they always say, well, what can I do, what can I do? And, you know, when you're in the depths of grief, like, I don't know what you can do, I don't know what I can do. Is, is it even a doing 
thing. And so I started just like riffing on, well, what can people do and how can you help people? And like I said, it was slightly out of step with the rest of the book, but that's the bit that so many people say, oh, I love that bit where you told people what they could do. And it, it, I realised that people are just desperate, they want to help, but we're all so terrified of going near, near the subject. And it was sort of from out of that, that everybody really being telling me that they needed to know what to do, that I wrote A Grief Companion, which is much more of a practical, that's the second book, um, it's more of a practical guidebook of, okay, try this and try that, not a do this, do that, but try this, try, try that. Okay. So I think there's definitely a need to open up the conversation, um, mm -hmm. both for the griever and those wanting to support the bereaved. There's, there's a psychologist that understands from a completely different perspective to mm. your, your regular standard griever. And I'll be, I'll be the example of the regular standard griever in this conversation. Um, I would argue just wing it. And then you've got your understanding of it, which is much deeper. And you know, you've written a book, for goodness sake, to tell us what to do. Mm. When, when, we, when we deal with somebody, whether that's a family member or a friend, and, and we literally have this conversation, how, how do we start the conversation? Well, if I go back to what you were saying earlier about do they want to talk about it, do they not, I would say just ask is the main thing because it can change from day to day. There'll be days when they're like, I just, I can't go there, it's too upsetting, I need you to take me out of myself. And there'll be days when it's like, oh, there's nothing else I can think about, this is all I've got to talk about. So working with or being with a grieving person i think it's a bit like being with um, a toddler who one minute will be like laughing and joking and one will be screaming and then one will be like hammering their hands on the floor in a tantrum and you just have to accept that a grieving person is going to swing in and out of different mood states and so there's no real one right way to do it other than just say okay where are we now where are we in this moment are we talking about it we're we not talking about it I mean, I've, I've learned from the point of view of being the griever to sort of almost help them to help me by, I always bring up Bill's name really early on in the conversation so they know it's okay to talk about him. And also just saying, if people say, oh, I didn't want to upset you, which is a very natural thing to say, just kind of, I'm upset anyway. Nothing you can say or do is really going to take away how much pain I'm in. So just allowing me to either talk about it or not talk about it as the mood takes me, really. But thinking that, oh, I shouldn't have said that because I've upset you. Probably what you've done is just given them an outlet to be to express the upset that they were feeling anyway. So um, I think don't tiptoe around people so much is probably the number one thing. And just check in with them. It's like, where are you today? Hmm, that's fair. Now, is grief in death more less or equivalent to any other type of grief. I'll give you an example because I want to give it some perspective. 2012, uh, I'm fired from the job I'd spent 16 years at, built a business, it had been everything, mm. and, I, and I end up leaving. And I, but I signed up mm. to be paid for 12 months without working, which meant I had 12 months of doing nothing. Mm. I didn't, every time I found somebody to talk to, mm. I rambled on like a madman, mm. maybe trying to make sense of it all. Um, but I was clearly grieving. When I was on my own and not talking to anyone, I found it really, really difficult. Mm. So any, like anyone, a passerby, a stranger, it didn't matter who it is. You sat next to me on a park bench, you were going to hear this, you know. Yeah. I was going to need your opinion. I was going to need your, your, your agreement that, 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 that my thoughts and my feelings were correct and true. Mm. Um, some way of justifying it in some way. Mm. But it was definitely a very painful period in my life. Mm. 
do we do we measure it differently? Is this, you know? I think the grieving process can be very similar, whether you've lost a job or a spouse or um, a sense of identity, yeah, or divorce. So I think everyone goes through a grieving process, whatever they've lost, even if it's something nebulous like their youth or um, something like that. So definitely there's um, a universality to grief and the, the need to sort of tell your story over and over and to kind of bring others in to help you with that. That's very common. Um, within that, of course, everybody has their unique and individual approach to it. I think there shouldn't really be a hierarchy, as in somebody's grief is worse than another, but of course it's going to be a different flavour if you have lost a person, if you've lost your best friend or your soulmate or a child, or you know, then it's going to be of a different flavour to somebody who's lost a, a job or, or um, gone through a divorce that was maybe voluntary but is still a, a grief. So I don't think there's any point, like, hierarchizing, if that's a word. It. It's a new word. It's yes. a new word for there the we podcast. Go. Coined, We've got one. We've word. got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so it's, it's both different and the same. You know, you're going gonna, you're gonna to experience very different things. It might be a, 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 a different kind of... I, I tend to use words like flavours and shapes rather than words like um, stages or tasks or, or whatever, because I don't think it's... Everything's got fuzzy edges. I don't see that there being any hard edges to things. Everything sort of blends around the edges. So there's a, an essence that's the same, and then it sort of, you know, diffuses out a little bit. So absolutely losing your job, I'm sure you will have gone through many, many of the, the different sort of shapes and flavours and experiences that a grieving person in any other experience will have gone through. So talk about five stages. Well, yes. This is another something that I kind of talk about in my book. Everyone knows, most people know, that this theory that there are five stages of grief. I think there's way more than five, and I don't think they're stages. So the, the, <laughs> the, the famous five are definitely in there for most people. Not everyone will have all five, but I would say there's more like 50. And they're not, I would say they're not stages because you don't go through them sequentially. You can move in and out of them, and they can all happen at once, or you know they can not happen for like five years and then suddenly appear. So the five stages model is one of only a number of theories of grief, but it's the one that's captured everyone's imagination so that everybody sort of takes it as these are the rules of grieving. Um, and in many ways, that's really helpful because like I say, most people, they, they capture a lot of what most people will feel. And it can be really helpful to have a sort of a guideline and some sort of leg hold. Oh, OK, so this is anger. Oh, OK, I, I, I get that this is depression. So it, it can be really comforting because you can think, oh, I'm, I'm doing it right. But it can also mean that if you're not feeling it, you think, well, am I doing it wrong? Am I not grieving properly? Why aren't I doing it? How long is it going to last? Um, so I think they're in there. But I think I, I don't think for me personally, um, it wasn't that helpful, which is why, as part of the book, I look at some of the other mm -hmm. frameworks that, that are out there, but also at just general psychotherapeutic theory in general, because grief isn't really separate from life. It is real life. We're all grieving something at some point, um, and most people come into psychotherapy because of losses, whether they know it or not. They might present with an eating disorder or an addiction or depression, but underpinning most things is loss and often really? it's loss of childhood is a lot is a big one yeah loss of that. innocence hey folks quick interlude a new sponsor is smartcast now they've got involved in our podcast for two reasons number one because we are aligned and number two that they believe that you our audience can benefit from what they do 
When we understand the problem of food security for the future, we'll notice that by 2080, there's not gonna be enough farm land to produce enough crops to go in our bellies. And if that's the case, we're gonna have problems with not only nutrition, malnutrition, but people and hunger. Food security is something that everyone should be able to rely on. And Smartcast is creating technologies to enable that to happen. Vertical farming strategies are one example of what they're doing. I really believe in their project. I believe in the business and I believe in the future, hence why I invested in them. And hopefully by going to check them out at smartcast.com, you'll learn more about them too. And if you ever want to get involved in investing, sustainable investing, that's not a bad way to go, is it? So let's just explore that a little bit because that fascinates me. So, so anybody going to you is, is, is it has experienced a loss of something in their life, predominantly child, something in their childhood? I think most people, yeah, um, are, are grieving losses of one kind or another. And for most people, I think it's the loss of a, a completely free childhood to be who they want, really could have been or wanted to be. Wow. Mm. They say a lot of the time, you know, the, the, your experiences in childhood shape everything in your mm, life. Yeah. Um, and, and I, you know, sometimes when I go through tough times, I try and look into my childhood mm. and go, right, where can I, where can I allocate that to? You yeah. know, what, what, what can I hold accountable for that? Yeah. You know, my parents got divorced when I was seven years old. Mm. Dad left and went overseas at the beginning. Mm. I was left with my sister and my mum, and mum mm. had nothing. And mm. um, but I don't, I don't remember that mm. as being a challenge. Mm. You know, I was bullied when I was at school, and I remember bullying mm. being something that motivated me to go mm. on and create success. And so, mm. with my two daughters. One of them's tough as old boots, the other one's a bit of a softy. Mm. The softy was bullied. Mm. And you know, and her mum at first was like, right, we need to do something about this. And, mm. the, and I was like, do we? Mm. This, this could be good character building. Mm. Almost like that, that completely different perspective around that. Yeah. But should we be taking it from there? Well, I'm a psychotherapist, so no, no. of course I'm going to say yes. And all these things feed into the person that, that we become. And yeah, if we have adverse experiences, they are going to shape who we become. And yes, that, that may mean that you then become very successful in another way because you don't want to go back to those feelings of vulnerabilities. But you also, you, of, you often can lose something along the way as well because the more you defend yourself against the bad feelings, you're also defending yourself against the good feelings as well. So um, building a wall to protect you from adverse childhood experiences can mean that the wall keeps out other things that maybe would have helped as well. But you can't, you know, you can't just talk blanket, um, this is how it is for, for everybody. But most people's childhood experiences, they don't even have to be remembered consciously. You know, you're remembering them in uh, an embodied way, in an emotional way, in, um, they come out in, they, they will come out in various different behaviours, whether you cognitively think, oh, well, that didn't matter. It, it, will, it will have shaped you, as you've already identified by being bullied, it shaped you to, be, to want to become successful in, in business and in other ways. So, um, Everything has an effect, and some people want to explore what those effects are. But it's hard to do on your own, because you can't just say, oh, yeah, because of that, that happened, because there will have been a million other things along the way. You know, we're constantly, every day, every decision we make, we're branching off into different things, and everything has a cumulative um, effect. So, yeah. Okay. Now you've got me thinking about a whole rabbit hole that I want to go down with you for the <laughs> well, next hour Well, it is a bit a of a... Yeah, it can be. That's why people can spend many years in therapy because they think they're there for one thing and yeah. then it's like, oh, and then there's that, and then there's that, and then there's that. So it's a, it's a, it's a long journey of unravelling, but it does help to do it with somebody else as well. Now, before I ask you about writing books, mm -hmm. let me just ask you about understanding the difference. Your husband died suddenly, Bill. 
But there are people that go through kind of like a slow death mm. with a family member or friend having cancer, yeah. Yeah. where they know there's a couple of years before they die. So yeah. it's almost like they have to they have to ready themselves for that. Yeah. Is that in your experience? Mm. Is that tougher, mm. or is it easier to cope with? And does does grief look very different with each one? I think it, it does look different. I don't, again, I don't think there's a hierarchy. No. I don't think you can say one's easier or better or worse or harder. I think that they're both hard, but in different ways. And yes, if somebody is nursing somebody through cancer or, or a terminal disease and they know they're going, then there is a lot of sort of pre-grieving that happens. A lot of the grieving happens while the person's still alive, which is a very complex and difficult and emotional process to go through. Um, which will then change how they grieve after they've died. Um, if you don't know it's going to happen, it just happens, then it's, you've got the shock to deal with as well as everything else. So it, again, multiple, multiple factors all kind of coalescing. So they're both hard, but in different ways. Um, and they will, you'll experience them differently. Um, but yeah, there's no one rule. I mean, there is no rule for anyone grieving. Everyone, despite the universalities, everybody's journey is completely unique because on top of that you've also got the things like the sort of personality you are how many adverse childhood experiences you've had how many other losses that you've already been through what your f future losses are going to be all that feeds in which is why every single person is going to experience it differently mm. okay we're here at the emirates festival of literature yes you're, you're a, an author yes so I've written a book. Okay, well done. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't enjoy doing that one bit. No. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was hard work. Mm. Um, how did you come to write your first book in the beginning? Mm. And what was the idea behind it? And then, and then how easy was it to put it together? Um, okay, it was a bit of a backstory in that I, before I was a psychotherapist, I worked in television um, and I was a documentaries director, which involved writing scripts. So I have always been a writer of one shape or another. Um, ah, okay. Um, oh. And I'm, I'm also a travel journalist. So I've got experience of writing for television. I've written for newspapers about travel. So I've never not written. I left telly approaching my 40th birthday, as a lot of people do have a kind of, I can't do this anymore, not just in telly and all sorts of careers. So I, I completely changed career at about 40-ish, I think. Trained as a psychotherapist and as a yoga teacher, but that's another, another story. Um, and was sort of happily working as a psychotherapist, still doing a bit of travel, travel journalism on the side. Um, and then when Bill died, um, I was so thrown into chaos. My whole life just felt like, what the hell, um, didn't really know which way was up. And so I kind of turned back to, I think in times of grief, we often regress to what we know and what I know is to write. So I just was journaling really. I kind of thought, I don't know all these tumultuous feelings. I can't make sense of them. I feel like I'm going mad. If I try and get them out, um, maybe it'll start to make sense. So initially I was just sort of stream of consciousness, just like regurgitating all these feelings and just gradually it sort of emerged, um, a sort of story emerged. And I realized that this was helping me to, to process and to get through it. And then as I wrote more, and it was just this sort of stream of pain <laughs> coming out into the page, gradually after a couple of weeks, I could hear another voice coming in, which was my psychotherapist voice that was saying things like, oh, so this is what they mean by anger. And oh, I can really see that 
I wasn't really present for any of, of that. I was really dissociating. I was somewhere else. And, and it was almost like my therapist self was analyzing what my grieving self was writing. So oh. then I started writing down what the therapist self was telling me about it. And I was sort of finding a way through the feelings by thinking, okay, so hang on, well, what, what did Carl Jung think about this? And what did Freud say? And I know about the five stages, but what, who else has written about grief? So then I went back to the books. And so then I started writing that into it. And so it gradually became this sort of dual conversation between me, the very feeling, emotional griever, and me, the more rational, thinking, academic therapist, almost like I was helping myself through it. And then after again, many months of doing this, I kind of thought, do you know what, if this is helping me, I wonder if it might help others. So kind of put a few feelers out, got an agent, got a book deal, and yeah, then it became a book. <laughs> I love that story, though. I mean, at the end of the day, people talk about journaling, don't they? They, you know, they say, yeah. you really should journal. And, I, and I've been one of these people that's been like, oh, really? It's mm. kind of like, it feels like a bit of a chore. Mm. But it takes me back to one of the earlier books we read when we were younger, as yeah. The Diary of Adrian Mould, 13 and 3 quarters. Yeah. You, do, you remember yeah. that? Well, I do, because I'm cool. 52. No, no, but... yeah, me, well, I'm 53, so yeah, oh, right, yeah. Okay, we've we probably got similar cultural <laughs> references. <laughs> so getting it all out is... And then it's almost like you have to, you have an alter ego, don't you? Yeah. That's de dealing with it. It's yeah. kind of like I'm getting this out and then there's another part of me that's understanding and sharing in another way. Yeah. And that's, that's fascinating. So I don't think many mm. people ever no. write in uh, or, or, or journal in two voices, do no. they? No, exactly. And almost in a way, journaling isn't necessarily about that. It is about just letting, seeing what, what, what your hand, I think it's important to write longhand as well, um, rather than typing. You I do? Think. Yeah. So you write with a pen? I do, I do both. I do, I, if, well, funnily enough, when I'm journaling, as in letting it all come out and not really engaging the brain and just seeing what comes, I write longhand. But then when I'm being my more therapist self or I'm trying to write something that's a bit more kind of academic, then I'll do it on the computer. Interesting how I'm doing all the movements. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, right now. That's fascinating. Yeah. I don't think I know anyone that still, that still does it like that. <laughs> well, it hurts. I keep getting cramp in my hand. Well, that's why I don't yeah. write with a pen. It's like with me. It's like, yeah. you know, I've been given all these fancy pens over time, but they're heavy and it's like... I, I think you, I do think you, you, you write differently. Uh, I think it, it's almost like there's a connection from heart to hand a bit more. You don't really need to go into the brain so much somehow. I mean, there have been studies that have said that. I've certainly found it experientially to be true. So it was interesting to then read that studies say that actually you do write differently. Um, but yeah, there's various tricks you can do to help you journal, because yeah, I think everybody feels a bit like, oh, really? <laughs> um, but some of the best advice that um, I think is out there is to just write nonstop for 10 minutes. Don't even let your hand lift from the page. So your brain isn't thinking, is this good? What am I saying? Why am I doing it? Why am I bothering? It's literally just, just see what happens, just what comes out if I don't engage the brain in that same way. Everyone that's listening and watching this right now, mm. if they were to just close your cameras, try, you know, because what, what do you lose from giving it a go and trying? It's, it's important, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yeah. Well, f thank you so much for coming to join us today. Not Make sure all. that everyone can get a copy of your book. What are the names of both of the books? Okay, the first one is called Languages of Loss, and that's my personal journey and also a bit of a journey through what different psychotherapists have said about grief and just about personalities and who we are and why we are. Um, and then the second one is called A Grief Companion. And that is more of a companion book that will kind of suggest, not tell, but suggest if you're feeling like this, then maybe you could try that. And it's divided into three sections, mind, body, and spirit, for when you want to be more cognitive and analytical and think, well, what is going on here? And I'm too immersed in the emotions and I want to think about what's going on. 
body is more about when your brain has just gone offline and you're like, this is just pure pain and I don't know how to cope. So it kind of talks more about working with the body and then spirit is more about things like meditation or poetry or spirituality or, um, you know, those things that are just slightly less this world based. And then the fourth section, I always think there's three, but in fact there's a fourth, which is just called the everyday, which is more practical stuff about probate and lawyers and possessions and anniversaries and triggers and all the sort of the, like the practical the stuff that you have stuff. to get through yeah so it's kind but, of like a companion holding your hand through the whole but that's process. actually that's actually quite important I remember mm. when my, 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 my grandparents on my father's side died my dad went to their house and mm. there was a bureau then people yeah. don't know what a bureau yes. is anymore but you know, bureau. And in the yeah. bureau there was 27 mm. life insurance mm. policies Wow and my dad was like what do I do with all these I'm like yeah. 27 Wow, that's... Um, but, but again, that, yeah. that whole process can be quite daunting and overwhelming for oh, people. Oh, it takes it? four years on. I'm still going through various paperwork and boxes of stuff. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a long boring. And just when you are least cap feeling least capable or least um, uh, efficient, that's when you seem to have the most decisions and the most amount of paperwork to have to deal with. It's, it's kind of horrific, really. Um, Mm, yeah. I agree with you. <laughs> Sasha, thank you so much for coming to join us thank on the podcast Thank you for having today. me. It's been great fun talking to you. <laughs> and you, thank you. If you're listening to this podcast on iTunes, then please leave us some love. Give us a five-star rating or something. Go on, it only takes a second. If you're enjoying it, it would mean the world to me. Now, if you're listening to this on any other podcast apps, show us some love, engage with us. Tell me what you like about it. Tell me what you don't like about it. Tell me how I can make it better. Or why not even suggest guests that you'd like me to interview. <laughs>